Did it feel like a death sentence? So are you dating now? How did the doctor tell you? Hey, I'm Andrew Hales. Welcome to another edition of Chatting With. Today I'm here with Alex. Hi. Thank nice you so you. much for being here. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, HIV positive. Uh-huh. Uh, when were you first diagnosed? So I tested positive in 1996 and I was 23 years old. What were like the symptoms that led up to it? So there weren't any symptoms. I didn't experience any symptoms and most people don't experience symptoms. Oh, that's scary. Uh, there is a um, sort of a, the experience of like a flu-like symptoms that people will have. Some people have had them and you get, they get uh, quite sick, they have uh, sweats and, and fever, but um, it's quite common actually not to have symptoms. But uh, as someone who'd been working in HIV and as a gay man, mm. um, testing is sort of a regular part of our experience. So I would get tested regularly. Did it feel like a death sentence? So, uh, <laughs> I, I, it yeah, did. If I, if I ever like cross the line, just tell me, you know. I, I will. And we can take out everything. Yeah. Uh, so it, it certainly, uh, when I found out in '96, uh, at the time, life expectancy was about 10 to 15 years. Hmm. So when I was diagnosed, that was basically what the doctor said: is that you have about 10 to 15 years, if you're lucky, more. Uh, so I was really sort of hoping to make it to 30, and I would have been happy. Uh, so when I was diagnosed in 96, it was January of 96, and about six to 10 months later, uh, effective treatment was found. Um, and so basically that radically changed our relationship to HIV because people could live uh, a completely normal, uh, or have a completely normal life expectancy. Right, I've heard uh, if you just take about one pill a day, um, it, you, it's not even traceable now, right, in your blood? So, uh, it, it, you can take one pill a day, or sometimes it's two pills, like I take two pills. Mm -hmm. uh, but essentially there are one pill regimens, so that every medication is in one pill and you take it, and it's very easy. Okay. Um, and if you are on effective treatment, that means that your viral load, the amount of virus in your body, will be decreased uh, so much that um, our current tests cannot detect it. And so that means you're uh, undetectable and your viral load is undetectable. If you had an HIV test, you'd still test positive because that test is for antibodies. So are you dating now? <laughs> I am currently single. <laughs> uh, I am on various gay apps <laughs> and I do occasionally date or you know I still have a, an active and fulfilling sex life okay well um, you have to bring it up though you have to tell them before you have sex that you so so <laughs> disclosure is is always sort of one of those can be something quite complicated um, and the reason why is because unfortunately there uh, are risks involved in terms of how people react right some of the most extreme examples of people um, responding to HIV disclosure mm -hmm. has been violence uh, and in some cases uh, death uh, so so it can be tricky because you you're having to put yourself out there uh, and not knowing how someone's going to react, uh, even if you're, you're just at a bar, right? So certainly early, many, many years ago, I had experiences where I would meet a guy and we were getting ready to go home together. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, oh, but before we go, I should tell you this. 
and then it was like, oh, maybe we shouldn't go home now. Um, and while that is bad and uncomfortable and unpleasant and uh, maybe the guy was sort of a douchebag, <laughs> mm. I, uh, having been negative for um, uh, many, many years when I was younger, I understand where that sort of perspective is coming from. I understand the sort of fear and ignorance that people have around HIV. So it's hard to get mad at, at him. Obviously, if they, hand, if they treat you badly, you have every right to be angry with them. I think the, the unfortunate thing is, is that a lot of people internalize it. So if someone rejects you because of your HIV status, it's very easy to feel guilty and ashamed and bad when they did that. Yeah, contracting HIV is more likely, or it's, you know what I'm gonna, like, when you're gay. No, you can ask. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my audience knows I'm kind of a jackass. So in terms of, I think it's, it's not a matter of sort of, if it's easier for uh, gay men to get it. I think physiologically, um, there is a difference between uh, having anal sex and having vaginal sex in terms of your risk level. Mm. Um, and that's just basic physiology uh, in terms of the tissue and in terms of transmission. Right? Okay. However, um, there's also, and I think now with, with COVID, we have a clear understanding of things like the rates of a virus within a community and all of those sorts of things, a viral load. Um, you have a high concentration of HIV among gay men. And so obviously if you have more people around you who might have it, then it increases your chance of, of contracting it. Um, and then there are all sorts of structural issues that we have to contend with that make the chances of getting the, the virus higher. And there are all sorts of factors which we see playing out now with this new pandemic uh, that have to do with access to healthcare and, and uh, disparities that have existed for a long time. So 23, how, how did the doctor tell you? Um, like, well, did they come in with like two doctors and it was like this big deal, you know? I don't know. Well, you know, it was, it, I, I was at a clinic. So it was just a, it was a nurse who told me. Um, and back then, you, when you had an HIV test, you had to wait two weeks for the results. Uh, so you had to go in, have your blood drawn, and then come back in two weeks. Hmm. So uh, that's two week period. Uh, was quite uh, stressful. Mm. Um, nowadays, you can get an HIV test in less than twenty minutes. Right. Like, well, that's the like the saliva swab. You can get a swi uh, swab, or you can get a finger prick. Mm. Uh, so they told you over the phone? No, no. You come back in two weeks. Okay. And they come in. You know, they come in and they sit you down and um, and having gone through the testing uh, experience before, it wasn't entirely unfamiliar. Yeah. It was just every every time I probably had been tested at least two or three times before that over the course of of three or four years. Mm -hmm. uh, every time you go into it with this you know this pit in your stomach and you're expecting uh, the worst, uh, and then when they come back and they say oh it's negative you're like oh thank God mm -hmm. uh, it's like going to confession I'm like I'll never do that again and then of course you do, um, and and then you know uh, they come in and tell you and and then every everything after that sort of uh, is a blur. Yeah. You, you can't really sort of take in much information. It takes a while for it to really hit you. 
Uh, who was the first person you told? Uh, a friend of mine. Yeah. Um, I was living in San Diego at the time. So uh, I sort of had a sense of how it was going to come back. Um, and so I sort of had, had uh, prepared myself, tried to prepare myself mentally oh, for well, it. So this particular test, you had a sense that it was going to be, oh, because you slept with someone with HIV? Or? No, no. <laughs> it's, more, it's more a matter of, of uh, especially back then, mm. uh, and especially for men of my age, it was a very common experience that contracting HIV wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. Um, uh, it's something that we had, uh, you know, I had grown up with uh, since the early 80s. I knew that it was something that happened to gay men um, and seen it in the community. Um, and you, we were bombarded with messages about uh, safe sex and the risks involved in sexual activity. So, of course, it's always there. It's always, it was always present. Uh, uh, it was ubiquitous. So if you stop taking your medication, will it eventually lead to AIDS? So, yeah, yes and no. Um, if you stop taking your medication, then um, the virus can come back in terms of uh, your body, your system, right? Um, and so if the virus is no longer suppressed, then that means that your body's immune system can grow weaker uh, and you can get sick. Uh, the re in terms of the sort of terminology, uh, in many ways AIDS has sort of become this, this um, relic of the 80s, right? It was this it was this very arbitrary term that was created. Uh, it's not really a medical term. Um, in the you know back in the in the day, sort of a group of doctors got around a table and decided, here's a list of things that you can get. List of conditions. If someone has these lists of conditions, or if their T cells drop below 200, then we'll classify them as having AIDS. Uh, but even from the very beginning, that was a very subjective list because there were, for example, uh, some women's uh, health issues that were or conditions that were left off that list. And so women with HIV um, weren't considered to have AIDS because someone, someone forgot to include women's specific conditions. Uh, so nowadays, it's more a matter of sort of you have HIV, neither way you have HIV in it, and it's uh, contained and suppressed. Uh, or you have HIV and you get sicker, um, and uh, you know it's HIV disease. And I think it's it's in this country, mm -hmm. uh, very few people uh, still die of HIV, but people do. Thousands of people die mm -hmm. uh, in a year. Uh, and scientifically, we know how to respond to this virus. We have medication. Uh, it's super effective. Um, so there really is no scientific reason why people should still die from this disease. Um, they're still dying because of lack of access to healthcare or because of poverty or because of racism or homophobia. Um, and so, so we've come a long way scientifically. Uh, it's all those other problems that we're, you know, we're sort of hashing out still 
uh, now. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, you know, I think the thing that's, as I said earlier, for gay men, for most of us, this has always been there, right? HIV has always been there. It's mm. always been part of our experience in life. Um, but for most straight people, uh, it doesn't, does it sort of even enter your, yeah. your consciousness? No, I thought I, I was scared I got HIV the first time I had sex. Really? Yeah. Okay. Why <laughs> were you scared of that? This girl at a party, random girl at a party, and I didn't wear a condom, and I don't know. And, and then afterward, my friends were like, oh, she's gets around, man. And so I, I was just hyper paranoid. And So it was because you thought she was having more sex, and so therefore she might have it? Yeah, or were you just well, scared yeah, of sex in general? Just like, yeah, no, just, you know, growing up is sex ed, you know, you always wear a condom or just abstinence and, or cause you'll, you know, like mean girls, like you could get chlamydia and die, you know. Where did you grow up? Where'd you get your education? Uh, Utah and Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. Well, so were you more scared about HIV or getting her pregnant? HIV, I mean, okay. well, cause you don't have to carry the baby. <laughs> were you scared of it during sex or was it all afterwards? All afterwards. Okay. I don't know. I was drunk at the party, whatever, and it was my virginity, yeah. So, but, um, no, and it does turn out she gave me chlamydia, so, <laughs> but that went away after a week, and then, but no, I mean, I've always kind of been hyper paranoid of getting HIV, because, you know, it's like telling my family and everything, that would be awful, you know? Well, so you, I think you mentioned two things that are important to, to, to talk about. Mm -hmm. Sort of one, one uh, case that I can make for one issue, it would be this, that we stop assigning blame uh, or responsibility to something like HIV or chlamydia or COVID or whatever, right? There's this, there's this instinct that we have that if someone gets HIV, um, then we immediately need to assign blame for it. Um, and so when I talk about uh, having HIV, I, I don't talk about the idea that someone gave it to me. I got it. It happened, right? Mm -hmm. It happened in the same way that, that all sorts of things in our life happen to us. You leave the house and things happen to you. Um, and I think it's really important for us to sort of shift our way of thinking about it because it's so easy to assign blame to someone for... HIV or chlamydia or syphilis, and certainly I, you know, we've all sort of been guilty of, of doing that. But I think in the long term, in terms of, of how we conceptualize what stigma is, it's so much easier to stigma, stigmatize someone if we're blaming them for doing mm -hmm. something, like they did something wrong or bad or had a malicious intent. And in most cases, people are getting HIV or chlamydia or syphilis overwhelmingly in, in those cases because someone didn't know they had it and they passed it on to you, right? So this idea that someone's sort of giving it to someone um, brings up this notion that they were sort of doing it with an intent. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I don't think she had intent or anything. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's not even a matter that, it's not even a matter of that you frame it that way because we all frame it that way. Mm. But I think that we have to sort of challenge ourselves to rethink how we conceptualize disease transmission, right? Um, even COVID, if someone someone went and got COVID, you'd say, oh, this person, most likely you wouldn't even know where it came from, right? You right, went to the yeah. supermarket mm. or a rally or something and you got it. Um, 
Well, that's the thing. HIV, it's like you can prevent it if you just don't have sex. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? You can prevent a lot of things if you never so, have sex. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you, I mean, I guess, yeah, I'm kind of thinking uh, that's kind of how conservative, conservatives think, you know? Well, I mean, that's how the church is, that's how the church has always been about gay people. Like, well, you can be gay as long as you don't participate in homosexuality. Mm. Um, and so there's this idea of like, well, if you did this bad thing, had gay sex, got fucked, uh, then this bad thing's gonna happen to you. And so, of course, why wouldn't you expect it? And, and you should, it's your fault. Um, and one of the most common emotional experiences that people have when they first find out about HIV is they feel guilt and they feel shame. Um, and those are two incredibly destructive feelings to have. Um, and they hurt, uh, they hurt that person. They're not productive, they're not useful. Um, they really just end up with that person feeling hurt and potentially impacting whether or not they access care, whether they tell people, whether they get the support they needed. Uh, so they, they, those sorts of responses, those emotions can be super destructive. But they can also, just like pain helps us survive or whatever, you know, any kind of thing. It could uh, just help us. So, like, no accountability, though? No, I don't think I said accountability. Okay. I think um, there is the notion of understanding and communicating about something like HIV. Um, but there's also an understanding of where people are coming from, right? So for example, in this country and in a number of countries around the world, if you don't disclose your HIV status, it's, a, it's against the law in certain states. Mm -hmm. um, so to sort of uh, play it out logically, right? So uh, you and I hook up, I don't tell you that I have HIV, I go to jail, for not telling you if, if you prosecuted me in a state where it's still illegal. Um, what, what did that accomplish, right? Did it prevent HIV? Is it going to prevent um, future HIV transmissions? All it does is it means that if it can reduce your interest in getting tested, because if I don't have to get tested, if I'm negative, then I don't ever have to worry about telling someone that I'm positive, right? Mm. And so that only decreases people's um, interest right. in getting tested. And there's all these factors that go into someone not disclosing. If they're worried about their safety, if they're worried about how someone's going to react, it's understandable that they may not disclose. Um, and so Passing a lot, and we know, I mean, I think it's clear nowadays, sort of the criminalization of all these sorts of things, it's not useful, yeah. it's not helpful, and it only puts more people into the system. Yeah, but also totally irresponsible to not disclose before you have sex, right? Well, I mean, I think responsibility is one of those other words that I'm always <laughs> trying to move us away from. Mm. I think that there are lots of complex reasons Hmm. why someone would choose not to disclose. Um, it's not a matter of sort of whether someone's right or wrong. It's understanding why they, they may feel like if they disclose, they could encounter physical violence, emotional 
harm, rejection. Uh, if you're with someone and they're paying your rent, for example, you're going to be homeless tomorrow. Why would you disclose? Uh, if you're a sex worker, uh, you have a higher incentive to not disclose because if you know that you disclose and they're not going to hire you, um, so I, so it's not to, it's not about saying this person's right, this person's wrong, this person's irresponsible, this person's irresponsible. It's about understanding the situation that someone is in when they choose not to disclose. And I think the other half of that is too often the onus of responsibility is put on the HIV positive individual. And the negative person is, is essentially let off scot-free because they never asked, they never brought up their own status, they never had the conversation, and so all the responsibility falls onto one individual, and the other individual is completely uh, responsibility-free, hmm. uh, even though it took two people to have sex. Okay. This is one of those issues that people have very strong Controversial, about. yeah. That's like, um, <laughs> the comments are going to be very... <laughs> but I think the... Oh, they're going to be foaming at the mouth over that. Yeah. Of course. But I think <laughs> the important point is to think about it from a sort of logical, objective point of view. If you look at if you look at HIV transmission, just the history of HIV, there aren't scores of people out there maliciously looking to infect someone and not tell them, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't think that's the um, case. Yeah. So I think there's there's that. Mm -hmm. um, if you're, as we talked about earlier, if you're undetectable, then your chance of transmitting the virus to another person is zero. Oh, right. Okay, so, so that's something to think about. Exactly. So there's all these sort of complicating factors. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so, you know, you say you have sex with someone, they're positive, they're undetectable, they didn't tell you. Mm. Um, there's no chance of transmission occurring, or if you used a condom, right? Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of things that go into a scenario when you're having sex with someone. Um, and while I think that it's great to for people to communicate, like I'm a communicator, I want to tell people, mm -hmm. I'm open about it. I understand the conditions in, in the world in which we exist where people may not feel comfortable telling someone. And you, I guess I said, you've had people who were physically assaulted and or killed uh, when disclosing their HIV status. Mm. So it isn't, it isn't theoretical. It's not black and white. It's, it's a complete gray area. <laughs> yeah. And I think if, if COVID-19 has taught us anything is that we exist in a gray area mm -hmm. uh, of things and trying to understand the situations that people find themselves in is more productive um, than having an emotional response to it. So it's this idea of there are all of these legitimate reasons that people are scared to get a test or scared to find out they're positive because all of these other things uh, come along with it. Mm -hmm. And there's a legitimate fears. It's, it's a legitimate concern. And so it makes, I don't think anything, anything in our lives is sort of clean cut, black and white. Um, mm -hmm. 
But this is certainly something that lives in the sort of gray area. But I think fundamentally, we either sort of support someone's ability to, to do what they want with their body um, and have autonomy over their body, um, or we sort of support uh, government and, and other sort of intruding into that sort of relationship, and that's a very uh, tricky and slippery slope. Yeah. Still, though, I'd be so mad if someone, if I slept with a girl and then she's like, oh, yeah, I'm HIV positive, and she didn't tell me. I'd be so mad. Well, so what would you, what, what specifically would you be mad about? <laughs> she could have gave me HIV. Did you use a condom? Um, maybe, yes, maybe. Did you ask her? Yes, yes, I wore a condom. Did you ask her? If she had HIV, no. Why not? Because that's weird. It's rude. I don't know. <laughs> so, Random. So, you know? so then why should she tell you if you didn't ask her? Because if she has it, then and she knows, and she's putting me at risk, right? That's. But if she's undetectable, is she putting you at risk? If you use a condom, that's a, that's if she the, asked you to use a condom, is she putting you at risk? Well, condoms break. That's still like whatever. But yeah, the undetectable part, all right. But um, if she could just tell me she's undetectable, <laughs> and then I'd probably. Would you still have sex with her? I think so. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's, this, I mean, this is the sort of sticky. reason, this is the sort of like um, important exercise to play out, right? Yeah. So you're, you meet a girl, uh, you come home, you're about to have sex, and then she says to you, oh, I make sure you be positive. And I'd be like, oh, I can't do it. Right? That's not, that's like, that's... <laughs> It's, I'm not going to beat her up, though, you know? No, no, of course not. But I'm just saying, you, you see the sort of trajectory of how the evening's going, right? Yeah, of course. Um, but and so you see why a, a, she might not feel inclined to tell you. And uh, the other part is sort of, you know, where did, where did your, what's your role in that? Not your, you, know, yeah. you specifically, but what's the other person's role? role in it and did you did you ask her did you have a conversation about your current STIs um, right. was that was there sort of a uh, reciprocal conversation about these things or was it just like we're gonna fuck like we're both committing the same sin yeah I would say neither one of you are committing sin. the sin well, you know what I mean yeah we're both like you're both 50 50 you're both willing partners in something yeah. and you both have are adults both, we're both engaging in something risky you're both adults who are capable of having a conversation uh just be monogamous too you know who wants to be monogamous thanks for being here thank you i'm happy yeah. to chat <laughs> check out all of alex's info in the description um i'll just whatever links you send me uh let us know what you think about all this uh and i will see you next week thank you